Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that never wants to hear the words key battleground states ever, ever again. Except maybe one more time, because in the race for this season's Premier League title, the Etihad this Sunday becomes a key battleground as Manchester City has <laughs> Liverpool. Oh yeah, it's good though. <laughs> I like that, Steve. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Blues and the Blues go eight points behind with a game in hand. Win and a somewhat erratic season so far begins to look a whole lot healthier. It feels too early to matter this much. It matters this much. Which is why we are devoting much of today's show to the game. And why too, we've put together a guest list that can best be described as presidential. It's Asan, Andrew and Joe. Hi Asan, you well mate? I'm wonderful mate. Very, very, very happy to be invited onto the Friday show. I feel a little bit like a newcomer because... I do these shows so rarely these days that, yeah, I genuinely feel like a guest today to your show. Well, if it's any other day, um, it always goes really well and it's always lovely. You tend to get a bit feisty on Friday. You have feisty Fridays. <laughs> I will try and be uh, less combative, not although I'm not, making, I'm, I'm not making any promises with Joe on the pod, with Andrew on the pod, with you on the pod. This will go anywhere. Lovely. No, the feisty the better. Um, Andrew, are you feeling particularly feisty today? <laughs> uh, I don't know if feisty is the word. Uh, I've had news on for like 72 hours straight. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I hallucinate slash dream about John King and Steve Kornacki pointing to the map and explaining something about Delco <laughs> County or Fulton County. So uh, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> Well, 7am where you are, so I don't think anyone can possibly be feisty at 7am. That's not humanly possible anyway. So, um, Joe, how are you feeling today? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not too feisty, but I think when we get to, when we get to, you know, talking a bit about, about the United situation, I'll probably, I'll probably get a bit ranty about that. Oh, cause yeah. it's, it's just, yeah, yeah. Looking forward as, to that. As always. <laughs> um, let's start with a daft one. Um, Andrew's already alluded to the American elections as of high. Um, and currently, Joe Biden is one to twenty-five on to be um, sworn in as the next president. Only time will tell, though. And in this current climate, who knows? Who knows what could happen? So let's start with a daft one, anyway. Uh, we'll start with you, Asan. If you could choose one footballer, current or retired, of any club to be the next president of the United States, who would it be? Vincent Company. We talked off air, and the other two guys have also chose Vinny. This is amazing. <laughs> really? We should we should start a campaign and get Vinny as president. <laughs> uh, why, why is he your pick? Uh, because he's the. It was the first player whose name popped into my head, and I think he's the most presidential of any footballer I've ever encountered. Yeah. So I think that's why, and actually. Sounds like he's not the best football manager, and I think maybe we should step into politics already. That would be my vibe. Um, Joe, you've also gone for Vinny, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the same reasons Asan said, really. It's just like he, he's, he is very sort of, he, he seems like he could hold himself as a politician, doesn't he? And he's just like the work that he's done with the homeless and with uh, Andy Burnham and stuff like that. And he's, you know, he's he's well on his way to having the credentials already. Get him in, get him in the White House. <laughs> well, Andrew, you've been a, a gentleman and chosen someone else just to kind of mix it up. Who have you gone for? Um, you know, I initially said Rose Lavelle, but as Asan was talking, I made a realization that even that despite being so young, I think the last eight or nine months, uh, I'm going to say Marcus Rashford. Yeah. And I hate the fact that uh, Tories have made me love a United player so much. 
but uh, I don't think you could. I don't know that you could criticize the way that Marcus Rashford at the age that he is has handled that situation and that he has used his platform for more good than I think I've been seeing a lot of this year. Um, and considering that uh, having lived through this hell hole of an election uh, for the last, it feels like decade of my life. Um, I would enjoy having someone who seems to be as legitimately of a good and kind person um, showing up in the White House. So, well, I mean, Marcus and Vinny on a shared ticket would certainly get all our vote. I think I I must Definitely. make this clear that mine is a joke answer. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see who it is. Um, I think right now half of America are backing a fascist, uh, and furthermore, one who lies constantly. So maybe a fascist who's honest might be a compromise needed to heal the nation right now. So I've gone for Paolo Di Canio. He's <laughs> 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 honesty at Everton. So, okay, he's a fascist, but at least he's an honest one. So that at least would be an improvement. And maybe we would get, um, kind of bring the two sides of America right now together. As I said, though, a joke answer. <laughs> um, right, let's look ahead to this weekend. Um, the biggest game, undoubtedly, so far this season for City. Liverpool at home. Um, let's start with you, Andrew. Uh, this is the toughest test yet for Liverpool after losing Van Dijk and Fabinho. Do you think Klopp might go more conservative in his setup because of that? I mean, he may, although I feel like Liverpool has been so consistent in their style and their tactics in the time that Klopp has been there since he's kind of gotten what is this Liverpool team together. Um that I, I don't know that they can play another way yeah, and do it well. Um, I don't know that we've seen like the tactical flexibility from Klopp. And that's not a criticism of him. I think that he's just found a way that his team works really well and hasn't, hasn't tried to change that. So I, I don't know if we'll necessarily see it more conservative. I think particularly the revelation that Jota has been for them Um I think that you may see him play instead of Firmino, which is kind of crazy to think of Firmino not playing in one of their big matches yeah. um, compared to the last few seasons. But I I don't know that their best solution is playing conservatively. I think their best solution might be just to try to outscore the other team, a lot like the Brendan Rodgers Liverpool teams. Okay, well, that lends itself to the possibility of a, of a cracker at least. Um, Asan, we discussed this on the Wednesday pod, um, so I really want to get your opinion on this. If Jesus is fit, would you prefer him to start, or are you happy to go with Torres again up front? Mm. The team selection is a, is a complicated one for me. I'm suddenly I'm happy that Pep has got options, and I'm almost glad that I don't need to make that call. Um, I'd start with Jesus and Torres, and I'd pick one of Sterling or Mares. That would be my vibe because I don't think that Sterling or Mares are in like scintillating form where you point at one and go he's undroppable on the flip side I feel as though Torres is growing in stature with every game and that's a good thing and I'd almost be loathed to take him out of the team when he is growing in stature in in every game so it's a little bit of a cop-out but I think uh I think I would probably play, find a way to play both of them and drop one of Sterling 
or Mares. I think also Andrew's a little bit right about Liverpool and Klopp. I don't think that, you know, I think Liverpool are a one-dimensional team in the best possible way, right? They've got only one way of playing. And when Klopp first came in and he tried to do it in a little bit of a half-assed way, it just didn't work. Like, they are simply a balls-out team. It's the only way they know how to play. And I actually think that a little bit with the defensive issues that they've got, it, if City had those defensive issues, I wouldn't be going, let's play a low block or a medium block. I'd be going, let's make sure that the ball spends as much time as it can in the final third of the opposition where our best players who are available can get on it. So I don't envisage a scenario where Liverpool are anything other than the Liverpool that they've been in terms of how they approach the game. Which will make it a fascinating, really, given mm. how Diaz and, and Laporte now are starting to really click together. So finally, Definitely. for the first time in, what, 18 months, we could have a defense defensive setup that can kind of take on their front three. Mm. Um, I think, uh, sorry, the, one other thing that I wanted to say, I think the other thing is that it'll be interesting to see whether, because unless I'm mistaken, right, Thiago wasn't, uh, Thiago wasn't in the squad for the midweek game. And if he's still not fit, then I think for Klopp to try and figure out what midfield three is going to pick is also going to be really tricky because obviously that midfield is pretty key to to how Liverpool function and 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 how they operate. And I think you know again, if you look at the the the, the midweek team that they put out, it's um, it's Henderson. Wine Alden and I don't know who the uh I don't Jones whoever that is yeah was it their was their third midfielder and then Milner came on for Henderson on 65 minutes and and Naby Keita came on so although he's got options I'm sort of looking at his midfield options and I'm a little bit going mm. I think without Thiago who obviously is a different type of centre midfield player for them. I think that it will be, yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult team selection for for Klopp. I really do. Because I'm a little bit, like, just that idea of whether you whether you stick or you twist, well, you know, you can you can twist and you can play Henderson as one and then you can play Kiter and somebody else in front of him, Wijnaldum in front of him, and they can really try and push forward that way. Or you can play Milner in the midfield three and you can try and keep it a little bit more stable. It'll just be interesting to see what he favours in that midfield. Yeah, and the same goes, of course, with, with City midfield, which is becoming harder and harder to predict um, these days. Joe, um, City are unbeaten in this fixture in five games. Do you think Pep has gotten over his fear of Klopp and Liverpool? I mean, he admitted in the All or Nothing documentary that he was scared of them, uh, which, of course, he meant as a, a compliment. Um, clearly in the past his team selections have reflected this um, do you think he's gotten over that now? I think he's sort of learned that the best way to try and beat Klopp is not to uh, is not to not to attempt to defend it and not to just sit back and you know see what they can do I think it's more just go go toe-to-toe with them and see what we can we saw what happened in the game after Project Restart and obviously there were, there were circumstances around that what with the fact that they just won the league and maybe their the levels had dropped a bit but we just put our best 11 out there 
And, you know, we had Foden when he was, you know, in the form of his life and we, we went and absolutely battered them and sort of embarrassed them in the time where they should have really been celebrating. Um, I always think obviously at Anfield, maybe Pep will still have that, that, you know, let's nullify what they do before playing to our strengths kind of thing that Pep likes to do in big games. Um, but if we're at the Etihad and especially if they've not got Van Dyke, then we should really be looking to, um, we should really be looking to take the game to them and just put, like, like I said, just put our strongest team out and just try to, if they're going to try to outscore us, then it makes sense for us to try and outscore them. Cause if we're just going to try and sit back and try and get them on the counter, then that, that could end up making us look pretty stupid if they get an early goal or two. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say that Pep certainly maybe not got over his fear, but I, I definitely think that he's, he's started to approach the games with, with less caution than maybe he used to. I think a little bit, sorry, Steve, I think just a little bit the, um, like firstly, Pep saying an all or nothing that he's afraid of Liverpool. I, I think that, I imagine that if you had cameras on Pep, yeah, he'd find reasons to be afraid of most teams in the Premier League that he comes up against. He's an anxious kind of guy. Um, but I think at the same time, our record at the Etihad under Pep, Pep versus Klopp at the Etihad is well, 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 sort of uh, heavily in Pep's favour. So I don't, I think it'd be different if the game was at Anfield, but I find it hard to imagine anything other than Guardiola saying, go and do what you did when lockdown opened. Because I know that there's, they will have the excuse that they'd won the league and it wasn't important and all that sort of shit. But, you know, they came, they got a half-assed guard of honour and then they got slapped like children. And there's no way that they came to the Etihad thinking that that was going to happen to them. Yeah. Um, so, no, I don't think that we're... I don't think that we're in a position where Pep will be going into this game being concerned or worried or, you know, more so than usual. I think he can point to our record against them at the Etihad in general over the last three or four years and go, it's cool. We can, we can do these if we play at our ability. Andrew, is it too early to call this a must win for City? Um, we've seen before how good Liverpool are as front runners. And so should they get some distance between us? Um, you know, that's potentially worrying at least. I mean, I think based on the last two seasons, you have to assume that, um, this type of match where you're directly able to take points off Liverpool yeah. and gain points yourself like that, they are must wins. Um, you know, you can draw or, I mean, you can lose and you could theoretically still win the title. It's not impossible. It's just, I, I don't think anyone wants to be in that situation again. Um, I think particularly, and I think we're going to talk about this a little later on, but with how compact the schedule is this season, I think you need to bank as many points early as you can because with how many matches are being played, you just you don't know what could happen down the road. You don't think it's possible they get fitter? Well, I, I thought that myself. Howard's kind of said the opposite, and but I've kind of thought that. Howard's worried, isn't he, that, you know, Basically, what we're seeing right now, we could actually, you know, decrease as, as the season goes on. But this basically could be viewed as a preseason. Just so I know that obviously it's an entirely different sport, um, but the NFL is seeing a massive increase in non-contact muscle injuries. Yeah, because of limitations on recovery practices, limitations on practice times limitations on rest times and the limitation there was on kind of the, the preseason getting started. Um, and I think maybe if you get through the initial 
burst of matches, you could maybe end up getting fitter. Mm-hmm. But my worry is, can you get to that point before every team loses one to two key people? Mm. Yeah, which is I, I wrote this week about the possibility of a Leicester or a Spurs having you know an incredible season and you know possibly winning the league or certainly getting into the top four in in terms of Leicester or or Everton or whoever. And that was one thing that I put forward really. People are concentrating on the possibility of a lot of injuries this season, and therefore you think, well, the bigger clubs have the advantage because they've got a bigger squads. For me, I think it's the avoidance of losing your star player to a long-term injury, as we've seen with Van Dijk. So I think if someone like Leicester can get through the season without suffering you know, a three-month layoff to a key player, that puts them in a significant advantage um, because I... Like you say, Andrew, I think the possibility is high that we could be seeing some big names out for long periods this year. Um, okay, let's get back to the City Liverpool and just finish on our kind of predictions, just how we see the game going and score predictions. Start with you, Joe. Do you, do you think we're going to win out? I think I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those games where it might sort of it, it might not live up to the hype it might end up being a bit of an it'll be a nil nil for a long time and everyone's going to get really panicky and 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 worried that you can you can get the liverpool liverpool game bingo out there'll be like a robertson will avoid an obvious red card sterling's probably going to have a penalty that won't be given um there's going to be some there's going to be some kind of var nonsense but i think ultimately i think i'd like to think we'll we'll snatch a late win out of it especially with them not having van dyke because nine times out of 10 when we when we've played them with van dyke he's been the massive reason why we've not con- why we've not managed to score in a lot of situations. Yeah, Andrew, how do you see it going? <sighs> I think this is going to be an inverse of that match in the 2017-2018 season. I think it's going to be 4-3, but City will come out on top this time. Nice, I like it. Hey, Sam, what about you? Yeah, I think maybe I'm a bit more leaning towards what Andrew said. I think it's... <sighs> I guess I sort of look at the defence that they're fielding and I go, if your city's attacking five, yeah, if we play with the if we play with four three three, if you're the front three and the two number eight, you've got to be rubbing your hands together and going, Okay, we have to make hay in this game because that's a proper, proper, proper makeshift back four. Um I think, you know, Gomez and I don't know who the other lad is going to be who, who, who lines up next to him. I, I, with Trent, who isn't positionally the best. I just think that, and I, I, I trust Pep to set the team up specifically to exploit the things that they would, the places where they will be weakest. And obviously they're going to be weakest at the back. So yeah, so I, I almost feel as though, I put it on City that they've got to score goals in the multiple. And then going back the other way, I think obviously um, if you look at Laporte and Diaz gives and Walker as well, I think it gives us real, uh, it can give us real confidence in in what we've got going on in the defence. But then you look at Salah and you go, well, he can score from anywhere at any given moment with, you know, half a second and half a yard and bang it in the top corner. So I expect that we will end up conceding, but I do think that we will, I, I think we'll win. Um, and I think we'll win because we'll score more goals than them. As cliche Sorry, just, as just, 
that sound. Just to play devil's advocate to what you were saying there, obviously I agree with you that I think Pep will just go for more attacking because obviously of their defensive issues that they've got. But because Liverpool's midfield has basically always been that their job is to overrun us rather than to sort of outplay us. Is there any concern? Because I'm sort of in the back of my mind thinking I can see this being a Rodri and Gundogan kind of game as a double pivot where they're both just meant to be resisting the press and just sort of pass it through them by sitting deep. But I'm really hoping that that's not the case. But do you think that there is any chance at all that Pep does do that? Reverse the double pivot. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can see a little bit why you would why you would maybe consider that. But to kind of counter it a little bit, I think when we play 4-3-3, one of the things that happens is that it becomes imperative that the two number eights are compact with Rodri and that the team itself is incredibly compact. And I think that, you know, it's almost like the perfect, in the perfect pep performance, there's no need for a double pivot because your collective press is so strong that you don't worry about that. And I think, think, feel the double pivot was more about pep looking at his back four and going, I have no confidence in any of these clowns to defend one-on-one. And therefore, I'm going to put somebody next to to Rodri so that there's two people potentially covering counters. With Laporte and Diaz back there, I would argue that Guardiola will go with his foot. He might play Gundo, but even if he plays Gundo, I can see Gundo being played in the left-hand eight position, in that left-hand pocket, yeah? Um, and it's still just Rodri and it's still the idea of being a very, very high press. I'd be really, really surprised if he, if he, if he goes to, uh, 4231. And, you know, I, I'd almost be, I'd be really angry at Pep if he did that. It would, I, I, I've begun to, um, in the last kind of week or so, I've begun to regain a little bit of faith in, the footballing setup in general and the decision making and everything and the players individually and what Pep's doing. And, and I think that that all culminates for me on Sunday. And, you know, it's like a sliding doors moment, isn't it? Like Guardiola's got to look at himself and he's got to go, all right, what has failed in the last 12 months and what has worked in the last 12 months? And it's hard to see him going, well, I'm going to go with a double pivot of Rodri and, and Gundo even though that has been so poor for him so often in big games. Yeah, agreed. Well, I'll tell you what, lads. I mean, all three of you have gone for a City win, and yet you've made me more nervous now than I was before <laughs> this pod started. Or I think it's nervous excitement. I can't wait for this one. Um, I mean, for me, the biggest thing that I just want to know is, is, Ster- is this the match where Sterling kind of gets the monkey truly off his back? Sterling with- will be pivotal, I think, for this game, because yeah. a big weakness in Liverpool's defence is the huge gap between Alexander-Arnold and his centre-back. And I think Sterling will be played out wide on the left. Um, and to capitalise on that, and I think there'll be a lot of kind of balls coming over from right to left uh, to try and get Sterling in. Uh, I anticipate him to be clean through on at least one or two occasions, but then, of course, we get to that problem of Raheem in a one-on-one situation. Um, so let's see if he puts him away this time. Um, okay, let's look, look at the opposition. Um, a player that you like, a Liverpool player that you like, and a player that you really don't like. Um, Joe? Uh, the... 
It was difficult to find one that I like. Um, the, the, I went with Van Dyke in the end because uh, I, I can't really bring myself to like properly hate him. My, my irritation with Van Dyke more comes from just that he's, he's ridiculously good and he doesn't play for us. That's more, that's more where I, I get my annoyance with him from. Um, so yeah, that was, that was just the easy one to go for. But the, the, the player that I dislike the most is, uh, Andrew Robertson. Um, it's just like, it's this weird, like this weird faux hard man image that he seems to have amongst like, amongst scousers. And it's, I don't understand where it comes from because they, they like this on Twitter. You see a lot of them sort of sharing clips of him, like putting in a tackle and then looking down on them at the ground while they're lying there and think, Oh, wow, this guy. Oh, he's so, he's, he's such a hard man. It's like to me, a hard man's like Roy Keane who just like just d- destroys people and just like is a horrible person who you would be scared to go near on the pitch. And Robertson just like, he just starts arguments with opposition players. And then when his teammates come in and get involved, he just slowly moves into the background and then just disappears from the scene while everyone else does the arguing. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and it, it's almost, and you watch him on the pitch and it's almost like this this thing that's come from the fans has like gone to his head and he starts to play yes. up to it a bit. It's just, yeah, yeah I, just, I, I, just, I just hate it. I can't stand watching him. And he always, every time he plays against us, manages to get a, a harsh tackling on Sterling or give away a near penalty, but it's never given because it's them. And it just, it just hate, it makes me hate it even more. So yeah, Robertson for me. I'll give you on that. Andrew, a uh, player you like and a player you dislike? Uh, I mean, player I like, Thiago, I mean, I wanted him for City and I've loved him for his, the entirety of his career. I think he's just, I mean, he's a, a perfect pet player and pet players are what I like to watch on the pitch. Um, so it would be very hard for me. Not to like him. I, I would also say Diego Jota. Like, I thought he was an incredible player at Wolves, and I thought City should sign him. And the fact that Liverpool signed him for so little and now he's doing so well it infuriates me to no end. Um, and then I, I have, I could say the same player to dislike because I dislike Andy Robertson. Although I feel like if he was on City, I would love him to like the end of the earth for the exact same reasons I now hate him. Um, but for me, the player that, and it's like entirely irrational that I hate the most on Liverpool is Mo Salah because it's not about him. He strikes me as an incredibly nice and like reasonable guy off the pitch. But the way that the media thinks that he is the second coming is just like during the World Cup, it, I was so happy when Egypt went out because we just like didn't have to hear about how wonderful Mo Salah was because like he's good. Like, no doubt about that. But he is not, you know, one of the top five players on the planet. So we, we can all just calm down about him and like be rational in the way that we discuss a player. Well, yeah, I feel very much the same way about Jordan Henson. Um, oh, God. Play you like, play you dislike. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not answering the first one. They can all get in the bin as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> There's nothing associated with that football club that is of any interest to me. My best mate's a scouser, so Dave, you can have a shout out here, but that's it. When it comes to the players, the coaches. I thought staff, you were going to tell your best mate to do one. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't, I can't do that for Dave. But, but for the players, the coaching staff, like people that work there, they, all, they can all get in the bin. Peter, Peter Moore, like shapeshifter, next level shapeshifter. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry, Steve. Like, no, fair enough. Yeah, no, there's just there's there's not there's not a single redeeming quality about that football club. If anything, the success that they've had over the last two years has simply highlighted what a horrible, horrible football club it actually is. 
I've got less than no time for anything to do with Liverpool and it's smug, self-congratulatory, just like completely blinkered, just hypocrites, everything that's wrong with with football, yeah. You can find a part of it inside Liverpool and inside their players. Um Okay, so now who do I hate the most? Because that's a fun that's a fun question to try and answer. So out of out of you know, I'd, I'd slap Robertson all the way into next week. Salah needs to be slapped into next week. I don't know if anybody knows much about his agent, but go and do, do a little bit of investigating about that mad yeah. fascist right wing <laughs> twat as well. Um, once you're done with that, I'm going to go with uh, Trent. Because the care of those fullbacks, it's, they're almost, you can't separate them in terms of just, you know, twattishness. So, yeah, that's that's my pick since I would have gone with Robertson and I would have gone with Salah. I can, I cha- can I change my Van Dijk answer to what Asan said? Yeah, well, I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I Funny, mean, we've not even talked about Man United yet. I know. <laughs> I don't think it would surprise many people that I'm in full agreement with you, Isan. I did go for Trent Alexander-Arnold as my reluctant like. He doesn't really wind me up particularly. He's a very good footballer. Um, and the same weirdly goes for Firmino. Firmino doesn't... I just give or take him. And considering how prominent he's been... Because he's so inoffensive. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, Firmino. Uh, obviously, Adrian, I quite like because just for the shit and giggles he's given us um, <laughs> but in terms of players I dislike yeah the entire rest of, of the squad and the whole club as a whole and much of the fan base as well really um, so yeah it's just it's a rivalry and we're not supposed to like our rivals and that's just a given. I will say that there's certain players like Van Dijk and Henson and their posturing and their swaggering um, oh, I just find it so nauseating. Just, you know, Henderson, when he knows the camera's on him and he readjusts his captain's armband, fuck off. Yeah, but I'll, I'll leave it there because I'm trying to be in a nice mood today. <laughs> <laughs> but I wrote the question, so I've got no one to blame but myself. Okay, uh, a different tack now, back to City. Um, this will be City's 12th game in 48 games. Uh, 48 days since the start of the season. That equates to a game every four days and with very little pre-season prep too. Throw in one, uh, two or three international fixtures too and it can be accepted that this relentless schedule is only going to set to continue for a long time. That's a worrying situation for me. Um, start with you, Joe. Do you think Pep's done well so far juggling his resources? I think he's, for the most part, I think he's done all right with it, to be honest, uh, with the exception of the obvious like Porto-West Ham games, where for some reason he picked the same team two day, like, yeah. within three days of one another. Um, I think I think you've written in the question here, I think Kyle Walker is like the obvious concern because he seems to be the only one who can't be dropped because he's the best performing player in the mm-hmm. team at the moment. And, um, and Cancelo seems to be playing most of, uh, well, now that Mendy's out, Cancelo certainly seems to be playing a lot of the games at left back when, obviously we've seen Zinchenko come in for a couple of games, but I don't think we'll see, I don't think we'll see him come in for any of the really important games. Um, so yeah, it's, it's more the odd one or two players where you maybe got a few concerns about them. I mean, we've already seen De Bruyne have a couple of weeks out because whether it was mentally or physically, he's just exhausted. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that Kyle Walker hasn't reached that point yet. And hopefully he never does. Um, but it's it's difficult. I mean, every team's in the same situation, but we do have quite a lot of depth in in positions. I think we've at the beginning of the season when we had was it was it nine or ten players who were all out injured at the same time. I think we've we've got over that 
initial bump now and hopefully with you know touch wood there's no more sort of positive coronavirus tests that, that have people out for two weeks and with Aguero starting to look like he's getting slowly back into training um Jesus is back we're, we're starting to look like we've got more of our basically our full squad back now which is which is considering you know considering the situation we're in the number of games we've played and the fact that international fixtures for me are the one where it's just baffling that oh, they're even a yeah. thing considering the the, the fixture lists um but yeah i i think i don't know how we i've not done the numbers to see how we compare to other clubs we might we might be probably about average or we might be better than others but we seem to be doing quite well as far as i can see well i i put the numbers together before but i didn't compare to other clubs which as you say probably would have been quite pertinent to do so but there's been five players who's been involved in every premier league game so far this season um, oh really Asan, do you wanna guess who those five are uh, no, I'm really not. Like <laughs> Do you want to I'll say it's, it's Edison Walker, Rodri, Sterling, and Foden. Um, what's what's your take on the whole kind of subject, Ace? And do you think you know every club's in the same boat? It could be said. Um, do you think perhaps dealing with it quite well to date? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the problem with answering questions like this is you never really know what information. Pep's been given by the physios and by the medical staff. So, you know, and I think that the problem that Pep had early doors was, like was mentioned, we had a load of players out injured. Um, As Joe said, with the exception of that weird week where he picks the same team twice, there's not been too much in terms of me going, I shouldn't be playing that game. I think personally, I do feel that he plays De Bruyne too much. And what I mean by that is you, if you're going to rest, for example, midweek, if you're going to turn around and you're going to go, right, Laporte, Diaz, Rodri, lads, chill, it's Liverpool on Sunday. Why isn't Kev getting that treatment when Kev actually was out for two weeks because almost every part of his body was in the red zone and they were just finding little niggles and injuries all over his body because it was that sort of overextended that he just needed to be taken out of the uh, out of the team and out of training and just work with physios. So when he's kind of already been through that once and he's spoken quite openly about how tired he feels mentally and just the fact that they've not had a break from football, I'm quite surprised that Pep feels that, you know, Kev shouldn't be one of those guys like Laporte, like Diaz, with one eye on Liverpool. And the other thing is that I'd look at Kev's form and I'd go, he's nowhere near his best. So if he's nowhere near his best and he's talking about having played too much, then I'd be strategically taking him out of the team in in the right moment, you know. And I mean, yeah, I, I won't I won't talk about other times when. You know, I, I recall Kev not playing against Spurs in the Champions League to be arrested for the FA Cup. You see what I mean? Stuff like that. It's just, and now this season, I'm still a little bit like, you know what? Kev needs a break and he needs a rest. And, and there should be, the moment a game's won, Kev should be off the pitch. And any game that you feel you can win without Kev, you should be winning it without Kev. And particularly in the run-up to a big game, Kev should get a rest. Uh, Andrew, I mean, obviously, it's always a factor. This was, you know, in a normal season, a normal kind of year, um, there's a lot of games, and managers have to juggle their squads accordingly. But 
how much more of a factor is it now with COVID and with the condensed season and all the factors I mentioned at the start? Is is it really kind of a priority really for, for managers to kind of look at the next few weeks ahead and say, right, I'm going to need to rest him here, rest him here? I mean, I I think it should be a bit of, of a priority and I think you need to utilize your full squad because there's every chance in the world that 12 hours before a match, you could find out that one of your players is just getting pulled out because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and so I think anybody needs to be ready to go. I think city's biggest problem is that not signing a left back has kind of had this cascading effect where we haven't been able to rotate players as much as we should with a squad as deep as we have, because we can't spell Walker because Cancelo has had to be used at left back because Ake had to be used at left back. And then, Ake fell out because of injury, and then that meant that there was nobody to play alongside Diaz, so Garcia had to get drafted in, and then Garcia isn't as up to... I mean, it's just like this weird cascading thing where I think if we had actually signed a functional, usable left back on the roster, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. we like this. I think the squad would be in a lot healthier of a shape for City in terms of rotation and everything moving forward. Okay. Um Right, this is a section I've been looking forward to. This section is called Let's All Laugh at Manchester United. I would say... That... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would say oh, that sorry, that... I thought I thought that's all we had to do, was just laugh at the rags. It's not hard for me. Since this pod's been going, I think overall we've been pretty fair on United. Given, you know, they're our main rivals, given the hatred and all this. I think we've been pretty fair. I think any time we've talked about Solskjaer, any time we've talked about their failings... We've kind of looked at it in a fairly balanced way. Um, of course, we're looking through blue tinted glasses, of course. But I'd say overall, not today. Let's just have a break from that. I mean, they deserve to be thoroughly laughed at right now. They are a shambles and it's gone on for so long. And we can only keep it back for so long. We have to just let it all out. Let's let it all out. Over to you, Joe. How bad are Manchester United? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is here we go. It's uh, it's 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 just brilliant, isn't it? They keep getting it wrong time after time, like no <laughs> no matter what. I can't believe we're looking back now at the time when Fergie announced his retirement and stuff, and it was like, oh, we're gonna let him decide his successor. That just at first that seemed like a bit of oh look at that that's that's a nice thing to do but in reality that just masked the fact that they actually had no idea what they were going to do without him like the the club had no direction from the top downwards it was literally just Fergie who was just sort of deciding everything and ultimately ended up deciding where it was going to be for the next well it was supposed to be for the next five years wasn't it but it ended up just being the next one um, and so yeah they just asked and then they went from David Moyes who played pretty direct counter-attacking wing play to, to Van Gaal with sort of methodical slow build-up and to Mourinho who was his stock was at the time the lowest it had ever been in his career at that at that point and they literally just did it because we'd signed Pep and it made for a good narrative that's that's my belief anyway um and, the, and they've gone from that to the guy who scored the winner in 1999 who you know who happened to get a lucky penalty decision against PSG in the Champions League while he was caretaker and it's just and you look at where it is this season and it just shows why they were they were so stupid to to listen to Rio Ferdinand and just give him a contract and and not get rid of him sooner. Um, you can see now with the reports that are supposedly coming out about United making contact with Pochettino, and the line is that they're, re- they're reluctant to sack Ole, 
well, why? Like, if he wasn't if he wasn't a club legend, they'd have probably got rid of him this time last year when they were in basically the same situation. Especially with Pochettino sat around not doing anything because he's not got a job, and with and especially this season because we might be looking for a manager at the end of the season, and we might take whoever it is that United might want. So they really just need to, you know, they need to just bite the bullet and just get rid of Ole. Who cares if a couple of fans are going to be annoyed that you've sacked the, the club legend because they're not going anywhere this season by the looks of things. Just get rid. Do what Liverpool did with Brendan Rodgers. Like every, every, I don't think anyone at Liverpool was particularly devastated to see him go because they saw Jurgen Klopp walk in through the door when they did it. So mm. I think if I think if anyone's going to be mad that they've sacked Ole, I think, I think hiring Pochettino will soften the blow. And I think United just need to... They just need to get rid of it and just just get on with it because at the moment it's uh, it's only going downwards by the looks of things. I completely disagree with Joe. Same right? I, was I think I think that's like <laughs> just completely completely disagree with Joe there. Right? So oh God. United are a joke. There's no question that United are a bit of a joke. Yeah, but I don't really know why that is, and I don't actually think that their squad is terrible, and I certainly don't think that their best eleven is terrible. Um, I'm quietly petrified of Pochettino pitching up there because I think if you look at Solskjaer's big results and big performances, United have got some very good players who can play really well. Um, I I think, for example, I saw them against, um, against Leipzig the other week. And mate, they were they were pretty awesome. Like it's the only way to say it. So I don't know. The inconsistency is pure comedy for me. Um, but quietly, I'm worried that they're only five or ten percent away from being a problem for City, and therefore I, I'm leaning towards. I'd almost be look. I'd have I'd have one eye on Poch. I'd have one eye on what's going on at United, and I've, I'd have one eye on Guardiola and his future. If I was City, what I wouldn't do is put yourself in a position where you want Poch, but you yeah, we got to wait for Pep to decide. They flip Ole. They bring Poch in. Pep goes in April. Thanks, lads, but I'm off at the end of this season. And then City basically left there holding the bag next summer trying to figure out who their coach is going to be. And I know that people... I love Nagelsmann as well, and there's plenty of talented coaches out there, but Pochettino should be our first choice if Pep's going to go. And we should be saying to Pochettino, and we should be saying to Pep, you need to decide... If this, you know, if United make a move on Ole, Pep, you need to decide what you're going to do because we need to decide what we're going to do with Pochettino. So the laughter of the kind of inconsistency of United, I think, masks quietly the fact that they're not that far away. Oh yeah, I, but but just just to clarify, like I'm not, I I have no issues with the playing squad. I think the squad is certainly not the 15th best in the league, like it looks on the table at the moment. But yeah. from from the from a from a from a top down management point of view at United, 
they've they've just they've just botched it so many times over the last the last decade or so and i do think like like you say i mean we're kind of on the same page in terms of united would be correct to get pochettino in now but i, I completely totally. agree with you that if they i completely agree with you that if they were to if they were to sack ole then we need to get some we need to get cheeky on the phone to pochettino and just say right right hang fire for the rest of the season because that united job's probably going to be available again pretty soon if they don't sign the right guy Definitely. so yeah and i don't I, just, I don't i don't think it's uh, like I don't think that we're in a position where we can be um, complacent and go, yeah, but our team is so much better than United's that there's no way that Pochettino will go there if the City job is on offer. United have got some really good players there. If I was a coach who backed himself, I'd be looking at that squad and going, you know what? If you give me half the money that you've given to Ole or half the money that you've given to Mourinho, I'll complete that squad and I'll well, I'll, yeah. I'll make I mean it is imbalance imbalanced, I should say, the squad. And and it is, how it, good City are compared to United is a couple of stats for you. In the past seven years since Ferguson retired, United trailed the city by the overall points. One hundred and six points in the league in the last seven years. Wow. Hundred and six points behind City. <laughs> wow. It's unbelievable. And they've averaged a league placing a fifth, spending just shy of a billion pounds to average a league placing a fifth. Any club that does that deserves absolute out-and-out mockery. Then we get to all the other stuff as well. But, Andrew, I just want to say, going back to that kind of average place of fifth and the billion pounds spent, that's been some awful decisions along the way to get to that point, isn't it? I think that any criticism of uh, Ed Woodward and uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is entirely unwarranted, and I think they should continue to let them do everything that they want to. This is what um, I'm saying, mate. This is what United I'm saying, mate. He's a future Champions League winner, right? And he's got the United DNA. What yeah. are we talking about? Like, your man should have been backed with Sancho. They should definitely, definitely give him at least another four transfer windows. <laughs> I, not only should they give them another four transfer windows, but uh, they should also let um, Solskjaer be in charge of the official noodle partner of the <laughs> Manchester United club. Hey, can I ask a question of the three of you, right? And it's kind of joking aside, it's my, my brother's a United fan. A lot of my mates are a United fan. So down the, over the last sort of four or five years, lots of quite robust discussions about United and what's going on there. Um, so there's two schools of thought, right? There's one school of thought, which is that Woodward has backed every single manager that he's appointed, and the Glazers have backed every single manager that they've appointed since they flitted Ferguson. If anything, they've spent money in a way that was unprecedented for Man United in comparison to the Ferguson era. Certainly, if you look at the last sort of five five years of the Ferguson era, they did not spend in the way that the Glazers have backed the subsequent managers, right? And therefore, any criticism of Ed Woodward should be tempered with the idea that all of these coaches, for various reasons, made some awful, awful transfer shouts, yeah? And the other side of that argument is none of the managers have been backed properly because ultimately United could spend, do what City do, which is just buy a new team, get to the end of a cycle and just go bang over three or four windows. We're going to spend 350 million euros, yeah? We're just going to buy a brand new team. Um, 
and we've got a director of football in place. And basically, the other side of the coin is that the managers haven't been backed. The structure isn't correct because those managers shouldn't have been entrusted with choosing the players. Or there's the argument that I actually don't believe at all, which is that Woodward chose players. I don't believe that for a second. I don't think there's any chance that any player that was signed by Moise Van Aal or uh, Mourinho before Solskjaer and even Solskjaer, that any of those players were picked by anybody other than the coaches. That's my absolute feeling. Um, so where do you, where do the three of you stand on that? Is is a United are the Glazers uh, putting aside the debt and what they take out of the club? Just purely looking at it in terms of what they've given managers to spend. Have they backed their managers and the managers have spent badly, or have they not backed their managers properly? I think it's difficult to say that they've they've not backed the managers. I mean, they've given in terms of pure money spent, they've certainly not been shy of you know giving them the support in that sense that they need. But I think there is there is definitely an argument that they've maybe not given them what they want when they want it. So I think like Mourinho in his final transfer window was a prime example of that, where they they gave him a new contract in January or whenever it was, and then that following summer they didn't give him the centre back that he said he needed, and then and then as soon as they sacked him. The next summer, they went and signed Harry Maguire for eighty million, which I'm, I'm assuming is basically what Mourinho wanted the season yeah. before. Um, and then also in that summer, uh, no, sorry, last summer, um, Solskjaer wanted a Bruno Fernandez or that type of midfielder because Pogba was obviously not doing it very regular. They didn't get him in summer, and they waited until January, and then they got him. And lo and behold, they go and finish third. And it's and you just United fans would be right to ask the question of well, where would they be if they'd have just done that in summer? And then it comes to this. This transfer window, where I think both United, a lot of United fans everywhere have been quite unanimous to say that they probably need a holding midfielder, a centre back, a left back, and a right winger, which is which is a long list of, of positions, admittedly. But they got a left back, and they got Cavani on a free, and Van der Beek because because Van der Sar's pals with the club, and it's yeah, and and there are positions where they've wanted them. And they've not been given them when they've needed them, and it's coming, and it's basically led to them having worse position finishes in the table than they could have had. I think if they'd have got Sancho this 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 summer, it probably wouldn't solve all the problems, but they'd probably be higher than fifteenth. And I just said, but obviously all of that has to be caveated with the fact that regardless of whether they've been given the exact players they want when they want them, there's no excuse for Solskjaer being fifteenth with this squad. Like it's it's a it's a very good squad on paper. The back line might not be the best, but there's no way that that front front line can't be outscoring most teams in the league. Can you think of a manager who gets what they want when they want it? Because that, that that's what you just said. That basically maybe they've not given the managers the players that they want when they want them. But I immediately go, Guardiola didn't get sent back last year. Guardiola in every in every one of the last three transfer windows has not gotten what he wanted. I think if you look at Jurgen Klopp and you look at what little spending they've done since they won the European Cup, there's no way that Klopp's okay with that. There's no way that, you know, privately yeah. he's going, it's cool, don't buy me players. I I feel I'm not trying to defend uh the Glazers or Woodward, but I definitely feel that there's a really skewed perception of what Man United are. It's like, basically, it's okay to constantly go, United need more players and more money. Whereas, actually, that rule is just not applied anywhere else. At a certain point, with everybody else, the watching world goes, 
you've got to do better with what you've got and you've got to spend better. You can't just keep throwing money at it. And yet with United, from top to bottom, the United press pack are just continually of the opinion that every manager that they've had since Ferguson just didn't get what they wanted and it's just not fair. And I, I really think that that's hilarious because it's basically conditioned by City's success and now City and Liverpool's success that what bothers them is like what Caldoun said, you know, we're not going to be responsible for your shit decisions in the transfer market. They're upset because we spend well. So the issue here is not that the Glazers aren't giving the coaches money. It's that you've got Mourinho going, I want Pogba and Lukaku, when all the way back then he needed a centre-back. And what does he do? He goes and he buys Bailey and he goes and he buys Lindelof. So you've made your decisions. You've made your bed. You've gone, actually, I'll drop 70 million on those two centre-backs, but I'm going to spend 120 on a centre-midfield player and nearly 80 on a number nine. And I think that when you get into the economics of, for example, the Mourinho spending, Sanchez he wanted, you get into the economics of all of that. I think Woodward and the Glazers are well within their rights to tell him to go fuck himself if he wants another centre-back. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Asan, because I think a lot of the press pack for United point at the Glazers because it's a very easy target yeah. because a lot of the fans hate them for a variety of reasons, including the fact that they're Americans. But I think most of the blame at United can be held down to Woodward and the group around him not having a clear vision or a clear plan of how they're going to develop United. And so they go from need to need thinking that all they have to do is spend a certain amount of money on maybe one more player. Um, and you know, the, the social media likes will come and the sponsorships will come and everything will be fine. When in reality, what they need to be thinking about more and it's, we saw it at the beginning of Pep's reign is that you have to manage a squad and you have to be planning several seasons out. Otherwise you get to a point where you have all of these players on the roster and they don't fit together. And some of them are too old, but you can't get rid of them. And you just are kind of stuck at a log jam. And it feels like that's what United has been since the last season of Ferguson, because there was just no planning done for the future. And I still don't think there's been any planning done for the future. I think for me as well, a lot of the uh, a lot of fans like to point at Jurgen Klopp getting Allison and Van Dyke and the difference that those two players made. So a lot of fans like to sort of that makes it so easy for lots of fans to just go, oh, it's just as simple as we get the two players that we all think we need, and then we'll be perfect and we'll win the league. And it's like it's really not, it's really not that simple. But that's the obvious example that a lot of fans will point at and go, well, he got exactly what he wanted when he needed it, and that has done all that has you know that that got that basically won in the league. And I don't think that's right, but I think that's what a lot of fans will. Their logic will probably be when they try to Absolutely. to use that. Absolutely, I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've seen. You know, everybody from Gary Neville to people who are considered to be intelligent Man United commentators talking about how what's happening right now is proof positive that United needed to invest in Sancho. And I'm going, hang on, you can't defend. It's got nothing to do with. The yeah. fact that you can't defend has got nothing to do with Jaden Sancho. On top of that, if you look at your performances and you identify weaknesses in, in those performances, I would argue that 
a lot of those weaknesses, if not all of those weaknesses, are at centre-back or inconsistency in midfield. It's got nothing to do with the front three. If anything, you've got plenty of front three players. And I think that this is, again, it's something that the the kind of... And it, it's great for us because, actually, United should go and spunk £120 million on on Sancho because they don't need that. And that just continues down the path of you know, managers wanting big bang signings at United and not properly looking. I mean, like Gabriel, who looks a rock at Arsenal, who looks a top signing at a top price, left-footed centre-back, would have been perfect for United. Why didn't United sign him? Yeah. Because he doesn't have a thousand... Uh, opportunities to exploit for social media clicks and getting the fan base excited, which it seems like is 50% of United's transfer strategy. Yes. We're going to have to wrap it up. We could talk about this all day. I mean, I really genuinely <laughs> could talk about this all day as well. And, and I do think that we've, we've let Solskjaer off a hook a little bit here in this discussion. I mean, let's face it. Two nights ago, he said we forgot about the man up front. <laughs> Premier League manager. Forgot. It's only Dembabar. He's never scored a one-on-one in his life. <laughs> exactly. It must have slipped oh, his mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I can't um, wait to end it on. Thank you very much for joining me today, Andrew. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Aysan. Pleasure, mate. Cheers, Joe. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening in, everyone. Right then, we're off to write a spec script for an eighth series of The West Wing, where Vinnie Company and Marcus Rashford compete to win the Democratic nomination to take on the Republican candidate, Paolo Di Canio, in a race to reach for White House. You know what's really scary, though? It wouldn't be anything like as bizarre as what we're currently seeing right now in real life. Definitely. With that in mind, take care of yourselves, everyone, and forever up the blues.